Gordon Vidal, welcome to the podcast. For full disclosure, gee, I think you're the first attorney I've ever had on my podcast, I believe. And you are a local attorney here in Connecticut. So you and I know each other. We work together. And so I just want to make make that statement up front so everybody uh, has that disclosure. But uh, for people that don't know you, G, you've been in you've been an attorney for how long? Tell us how many years here in Connecticut. Uh, you've got a radio show. Just give us the 30 second uh, elevator pitch of who you are. <laughs> All right. So first and foremost, I'm a dad. But what I do in my spare time is I practice law. And I do have a radio show, and my partner is my wife in both of those ventures. Uh, I do a few other things as well, but as far as real estate is concerned, um, I've done over 8,000 closings. I've set up banks with their entire um, lending programs, uh, and I've been doing this for quite a while, uh, and it's a lot of fun. And very little in, in law can you do where people walk away happy. But real yeah. estate's one of them. So that's kind of what drew me to it. And, you know, you're one of those guys. Everybody actually, everybody over with you, I mean, it makes a difference. And people should know that. It really does make a difference who you're working with. And you guys are awesome. Well, gee, it's, it's very rare that you get attorneys involved and people start having fun. You, you tend to uh, keep it on the lighter side and, and appreciate all the hard work you do. So, gee, reason I wanted to have you on and have a conversation with you is, and we could talk about so many different things and we will in the future, but on this particular podcast, I really want to talk about the social movement that is happening right now in our country since, um, since the murder of George Floyd. Yeah. And you've seen just so many pro protests in suburb, suburban America, in the cities, like literally, I feel like every town, every city, in all 50 states has spoken their voice in this yeah. movement. And I sat back over that first week and, and said to myself, like, what voice am I going to have on this topic, if any? And if I do decide to express myself, you know, what from what place could I be most passionate and actually be a part of the solution instead of a part of the problem? So I started digging into research. I sent you over the Newsday investigation. I don't know if you had seen it previously or not, but you know, before no. this podcast, I wanted to, wanted to send that to you. It was eye-opening to see that on the Long Island Sound, just across the sound from us in Long Island, that 40% of the time when 25 testers tested 93 real estate agents on thousands of listings and 200 and 200 plus, I think it was 40 or 260 hours of recorded tape. They found that 40% of the time minorities had been delivered unequal treatment from real estate agents in this long Island uh, investigation. Yeah. One, what are your thoughts on the investigation? And, and then we'll get into some fair housing stuff after that uh, as it pertains to real estate. Yeah. So, First, let me just say, when this all happened, I mean, I have very strong views that are voiced every week on my radio show, which is on a very conservative station. And um, my views were not met with open arms by a lot of the listeners, because a lot of times people just don't recognize that there is um, unfair treatment. And, it, we, you know, people are calling it institutional racism. 
And a lot of times people, you think, first of all, there's a lot of ignorant people on both sides taking advantage of this and using it as a platform to cause trouble. So, I mean, that's there. Yeah. But there's, I know there's good, well-meaning people who don't understand what institutional racism is. And we can just call it unfair treatment because that's a little softer. Um, but the, the study that you, you sent over to me is a glaring example of how hard it is and how um, it's generational and how hard it is. Or, and it's not, I shouldn't say hard, but the efforts that are made by people who have certain points of view who may think they're not doing anything wrong to keep like people in the same place which causes all kinds of issues as far as funding schools and tax bases and um, living conditions. And all of those things are very real. And this study really, sh it was striking. But because I'm from New London and where I don't think there's a more diverse town in the country, to be honest, because if you look at the schools, I mean, it's primarily a third, a third and a third. Um, and, you know, that's just the way it is. And I grew up there and I loved growing up there and I moved back there despite many of my friends thinking I'm crazy. Um, but so many of my close friends do live there still. So we see it all the time, especially in real estate. I see, you know, I, I live in a really nice neighborhood and very often clients are steered away from those neighborhoods because it's in New London. So we see it in real time here. Well, let's speak on New London real quick. And, and, I, you know, there's going to be people listening to this or watching this that aren't from Connecticut, certainly, but there's probably, you know, a town or, or a city that could resemble New London to some degree uh, locally. And New London, for years, the politicians in New London specifically have blamed real estate agents for steering families out of New London. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I know that's true, because every time somebody moves to New London, um, they tell me what they had to do to convince their agent that they wanted to be there. Um, so it's very real. And what types and of things I'm are not... agents? What types of things are agents saying to steer people away from that city? It's, you know, the things you always hear, school system, tax base, um, those types of things. But so many people want to have restaurants close and they want, you know, a theater, small theater close. They want all of these things available to them. Um, but oftentimes they're steered to um, East Lime, Waterford, um, Stonington. I mean, we see it all the time. And I don't think that people are purposely doing it. I think that sometimes it's just, it's just ingrained that that's the way it's always been. So, and I agree with what you said. There are agents I've heard um, say that you don't want to buy in New London because the school is bad, taxes are high. Now, looking at it objectively, there, you know, and you can say this about a lot of Connecticut towns, but there are, you know, higher taxes for the product, the house of what you get in comparison to other towns. And you could say that, that um, in reverse, right? There, there are other towns where the taxes are, are, are way out of control. How should an agent ethically, legally 
explain taxes and school systems to a prospective buyer? Well, it, it's it doesn't have to be a big mystery. I mean, ultimately, everybody knows right and wrong, and the laws are the laws, and they can be skirted in any number of ways. It, what needs to happen is there just needs to be an open, honest discussion. And it's not so much steering whites away from New London, it's steering minorities to New London. And I think that's an equal problem. And I think that's what this study really exposed. You know, they're keeping white neighborhoods white and minority neighborhoods very, very tightly. Um, there, it's it's very obvious the spot housing that they're promoting, especially when you see how few houses the minority uh, testers were offered as opposed to the the white testers. Oh, in the in the Long Island study, it, it was very clear that they were pushing minorities out of certain neighborhoods. And and when they showed you the aerial, and it was like like a main road, and it was like you know over 75% whites over here. And that, you know, under that, that line that they drew and then the numbers dramatically changed to the contrary, when you went over that freeway or that line, uh, in the neighborhood, there was absolutely segregation that's been happening for decades in these areas of long Island that they tested. Absolutely. And think about what happens when that happens. Now your schools, um, are affected because it, it, it starts with a, a larger scale racism, which affects people's um, college, which affects their earning potential, which affects their, um, their, their spending capacity on housing. So if that keeps perpetuating itself, of course, you're going to have institutional disparity. And anybody who thinks it's not, is not paying attention. And, you know, the here's the real problem. It's very easy to show statistics that show that the, the George Floyd thing was not a black white thing. You know, there was a, a, a gentleman who had almost an identical death in Texas um, that was white and nobody said anything. There was a black woman who was killed. Um, and it was completely a racist event that wasn't really covered much. This was just like a um, convergence of all the frustration of the pandemic, the, the racism that's out there, unemployment going through the roof, all of that. This was a tinderbox waiting to happen. And then, you know, the, the bad guys out there who take advantage of these things and are using it for political reasons through that match afterward. So, all of that's going on, but you can see the frustration. And when people say there is no institutional racism, or I love it when people say, oh, my uh, my so-and-so was a cop and he treated everybody equally in the 60s. No, you didn't. Nobody did. That's ridiculous. I mean, that type of stuff is just feeding the flames. So everybody who's out there who's saying things like that, it's becoming a absolute snake pit on social media because there's people looking to pick a fight and there's people who think they have to defend themselves and there's no way to prove a negative. So just keep your mouth shut and listen and be supportive, but be reasonable. And that's the message that has to be 
we have to bring that back. And you and I doing what we do, um, it, it, we can do our little piece, but I, I mean, we can't be in the business other than this forum of educating, you know, you can't force people to understand, but we can hopefully bring people into an honest, open discussion like this. And hopefully they'll see that it's maybe it's a little true and that's enough to maybe spark a discussion. Well, tell, um, but, tell me if I'm, tell me if I'm off base. I, I agree. Or, and I, I think you were, and I want to speak for you, but I agree with, I think you were heading this direction. Some of the shaming going online, some of the, like the combative arguments going online are not going to going on online are not going to get us to a place where this is less of a problem or, or we've overcome this issue. I mean, I, I think it'll always be somewhat of an issue, um, but where there's real change, the arguments, the combative nature of this topic isn't going to help us solve the problem. And tell me if I'm off base. What, what I'm trying to do, because I, I always want to, if I see a problem, I want to try to help solve the problem. And, and what we're working on here at One in Company is we are understanding like this Newsday investigation, understanding the problems in our industry, in our small space, creating training around that, having the discussion around that so that we can impact our little environment, which is real estate along the Connecticut shoreline. Am I off base? Should I be doing more? Uh, you know, what's the right approach here? Well, I think you're doing more than most anyone. And I know internally, these are discussions and trainings that you focus on. Um, but this forum, along with your radio show, are, are things that matter. Because especially on the radio show, you and I both speak to a, a group that may not be in line with this point of view. So, Well, let me tell you, I, on Saturday, so Gordon and I are on the same radio station. I'm on Saturdays. Gordon's on Sundays. And it's a... Um, it's a CBS affiliate, and uh, it is a very conservative base. They're actually, you know, they're switching from CBS. I don't know if you know that. I do. All right. Yeah. Uh, anyways, it is a very conservative base. I always, when I get on my show, I'm always like, I don't talk politics. I talk economy, real estate, what's happening here in our in our local market of Connecticut. I completely stayed away from this topic on Saturday because we take calls. We take live calls. We had a lot of calls on Saturday. And I don't even want to get into the divisive part of this conversation. I want to have a conversation like you and I are. So I stayed away from it on the radio. Maybe that maybe that's a mistake. I don't know. I don't think it's a mistake. And I mean, we tried really hard to stay away from it, and um, it was impossible. They're not going to let you do that, Jay. It was impossible. Um, my partner just walked in. Chrissy, could you come here for a sec? Yeah, yeah let her jump in the podcast. Yeah, come on over here. Um, because she's, we struggle with this at home. I mean, the good part about being married and being in business. <laughs> how are you doing, Chrissy? Hey, how are you? Good. I know, I don't know how to get in. Gordon's head is so big. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? So what we're talking about is what's the right thing to do to deal with the disparity in housing. 
And so Byron was talking about how he dodged the subject on his show Saturday and how we were and we were, I was saying how it's impossible for us to dodge that subject. Yeah, it became overwhelming, like every Byron, every call for two weeks is touching on the subject. Yeah. And we, we've tried. We've tried to steer the conversation in a positive way. And I think we're making some headway, but. People did not want to have the discussion. A lot of people just did not want to have the honest discussion because in their view, which I personally think is limited, it's easy to say, for example, the DA in Minneapolis is an African-American. The police chief is black. We had Obama. So it's easy to rest on those things and ignore the day-to-day that people face, which housing is exactly the place where that would happen, right? And it was really hard to get people, some people to have that conversation. Yeah, so so the question you had was, are you doing the right thing too much, too little? From your company, you're doing the perfect thing, but from a broader standpoint, because you're, I mean, I don't I'm not saying this just because I'm talking to you right now, but you bring up some really important subjects in in a context that people can understand. And that's what needs everything has to be contextual. Um, So that's why that study was so powerful. And that's why. I mean, everybody needs housing. So this the way you're presenting this. I mean, I I was blown away when I, I went through what you sent me because it provides us with a better forum to to have this discussion that will be mean, more meaningful to people who just want to rest on all those statistics that Chrissy was citing. Because we can we can cite the statistics about how many how many blacks kill blacks and, and you know how it's only nine um, unarmed black men were killed uh, last it's year as, out of forty one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. All of that stuff is true, but it doesn't take away the fact that the opportunities aren't there for African-Americans. Well, when we hear systemic racism, how big of a part does housing play in that buzzword right now? Well, until I read your the article and we're having this discussion, I didn't think it was as much as it is, but it's everything. It really is. It starts and ends there. So actually, if you think about it, even if you take an issue like black on black crime, why does that happen? That happens because of people's living conditions. And that happens because people don't have choices and opportunities. And if housing, I I think housing is one piece of it, right? And then the other pieces obviously are jobs and those kinds of things. But you know, to say, well, black on black crime is more, yeah, but why? Where did where did that come from? You know, that wasn't that wasn't a creation by African-Americans. That was a creation by a system, whether or not it was well-meaning at the time, we can argue about that, but it certainly didn't work out the way it was supposed to. And there are studies about the psychological effects, especially like in places in like Chicago, where that type of housing is leads people to feel institutionalized. It leads them to feel that they have no choices. So. I mean, that's why that crime is the way it is. It's not, it, it, I mean, I guess you can argue, well, it's your fault, right? You gotta be better to each other and you gotta raise each other up and all those kinds of things. Yeah, that's true, but it's society sort of created that. So, I mean, I understand the rage and I think people 
need to be more sensitive to where that rage comes from. I get it. I mean, Byron, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm listening to both of you, think about this. Think about all the fixes that are required in order to deal with the housing issue that you've identified. Mm -hmm. We have an entire school system based on getting kids from out of town to basically integrate the new London public school systems. An entire system, which is the most expensive system in the state per, per person, um, it, which is failing, by the way. And we can talk about that on another show. But um, that whole system was based on the disparity. Remember the busing throughout the country. Remember all of that stuff. Remember Chef versus O'Neill, uh, where we're going to bus kids in. All of that stuff is because the opportunities are limited because of their housing, where they live. If there is disparity amongst the entire population and a we all get to know one another and we're not, you know, all those stupid biases that they talk about on, you know, after school specials are out because we all know each other. Um, And and two, we're working together and you have those opportunities that you would never get in a in a school that just doesn't have the resources. Good teachers don't want to teach there. All of those types of things. And I'm not saying New London teachers. Are, are, are a part of that because they're awesome. It's the administration that's the problem. But as you're talking and bringing this, uh, this subject, Byron, you've identified the biggest thing of all of it, all of it. Well, if you watch that documentary, it was, and I know you read through it, but I don't know if you watched the 30 minute documentary, it was mind blowing to actually see an agent sit there and say one thing to the white tester, like, hey, when can you get started? When can we start looking at homes without having a qualification at all from that yeah. white tester? And like with us, we give everybody one free shot. So we're actually not looking for a qualification before we take them out. That's our, we give them one freebie and then we start really pushing on the qualification across the board. Yeah. This particular agent was excited, never qualified this white tester, but was excited to push her into seeing homes. But when she had the black tester, she made a statement, I never take out buyers, and I'm paraphrasing the exact quotes in in the study, I never take out buyers without a pre-qualification. Doesn't happen. Will not do it. So for agents, how important is it to have a consistent system the way you do business over and over and over again and repeat it with everyone so that you don't I mean, she was clearly like just not giving equal treatment, right? In that particular instance. But there were other agents that were saying things that they've heard in the office they think were right, which was also falling in the bucket of an unequal treatment. Yeah. How important is it for agents to have a system to do things the same way over and over and over again? And is it possible for independent contractors at scale to be consistent with how they do business? That's a great question. And again, again, I'm not saying this because you're on the line, but you're successful because of systems. You know, you're going to have good people, bad people. They come and go, but it's your systems. It reminds me of the John, John Wooden story, right? You know, when the John Wooden, who was the coach at UCLA, one of the most famous coaches of all time, yep. he got all these All-Americans. And the first thing they would do at the first practice, he would teach them how to put their socks on to prevent blisters. And it sounds completely ridiculous, but at the end, because everything was systemic and everything was taught the same way over 30 years, you could have taken any member of any one of those teams and had them play together. 
And that's what you do. You can have people come and plug into your systems and be successful. You'll add more systems to deal with this issue. And I can't imagine something being more appropriate, more important at this time, not just for your success, but to get equity out there. There's got to be equity in treatment. So what you're talking about with those videos, that was horrifying. I mean, those people are opening themselves up for all kinds of um, problems, you know, even litigation, possibly. What are some of the biggest fair housing and ones that you can talk about, obviously, um, breaches that you see repeated over and over again in our local market? Well, the one I always see. Oh, Chris, you signing out. I, I'm signing out. I have a client. I gotta go. Sorry. Uh, Thank you for joining us. So, yeah, sorry she jumped in, but uh, it, she was really instrumental in our conversation on Sunday. Um, so, the most common, obviously, is in the rental market, um, and it's it's absolutely great. constant, and it's ridiculous. And I don't even know what to say about how to fix that, but it adds to the overlying problem of, you know, look, I, I, co I coach little, I coach kids from eight years old up to high school and I do that in New London and I love it. And you see these kids and you just want to give them a chance. Right. And, uh, we were playing a neighbor neighboring towns, uh, and, you, you hear the way they talk to these kids. I actually pulled my kids off the field one time and refused to play this particular town anymore because their institutional response was ignoring the problem. So that's the kind of stuff that that drives me and drives this conversation. I'm so happy you asked me to be on this. Um, so like that's the driving force of why you've now got me motivated to push this subject. Um, well, but, let's talk about the rental. You brought up the rental. Yeah. Here's, it, it's a, a tricky thing, right? Like a lot of times an agent will want to work with, if they've got a listing and the agent wants to list that property as a rental because they didn't sell it. Okay. I want to help my client. I want to, I want to list it as a rental. A lot yeah. of agents, myself included, don't want to work with somebody, anybody looking for a rental be just because of the way the compensation plays out it's actually easier for them to go direct they'll get better treatment if they go direct on a rental oftentimes now depending yep. on who's on the other side i get that so from an agent perspective if you don't if you're not really that motivated to be a rental shop should you just turn down 100 percent of rentals so that you're giving equal treatment to everybody could you have a rule where you say I'm only working rentals if they're a current seller client of mine first, and it's a no for everybody else. What are agents allowed to do? Yes, yeah. and no, in, in terms of rentals. So you you have to be consistent first and foremost. That's got to be the objective. And once you start filtering by you know town or by rental value, you're really a clever attorney could challenge that as being racially biased um, for all of the bad reasons we just talked about. Mm -hmm. So you, you got to be careful. I personally think I never really understood why agents get involved unless the homeowner are, is out of town. 
why they get involved with um, with rental properties unless they're doing a management job. Unless they're um, a manager, it, yeah. Yeah, because the value of your agents on an hourly basis when they're selling versus renting, it, it doesn't even make sense unless you're doing favors for people as kind of like a lost leader. Um, so, so could you, would an agent be legally in the right to say, I only work rentals if they're a current listing of mine and they couldn't sell and they choose to go to from listing sale to rental. That is the only time I'll work yeah. a rental. Would you be, if you made that, uh, yeah. you know, your procedure, would you be in the clear? I would be, again, anything can be challenged, but I would be very um, happy to be able to defend that. Yeah. I mean, as that long position. as you've got evidence of when people are saying, Hey, I'm looking for a rental. You're writing an email yeah. back saying, sorry, you know, here's a good source. Maybe it's, you know, uh, VRBO or, or here's a yeah. good agent that works with, with, you know, management companies or whatever, as long as you're consistently turning down the other rental opportunities that come to you right. with a track record of doing that. You always get in trouble when you cherry pick, no matter what we all do. Um, so what, what you're proposing I, is totally defensible. And I think that's totally legitimate. Um, you're going to get into trouble if you're going to say, I'm going to do, do London properties that rent for more than $2,000 a month, then you get into trouble. Mm. Um, so I would be worried about those type of things. Um, and, and again, I think we're kind of pushing the envelope a little bit here. I don't think that's the issue with the rentals. Right. I think the issue right. with the rentals is a realtor not showing to a minority family. And even worse, the, you know, the 75 year old set in his ways, um, guy who has a duplex who wants a nice white family living next door. Well, one thing they talk about in the Newsday investigation and one thing that I have absolutely heard more so in the beginning of my career than, you know, where I'm at now, because I had way more client um, face to face conversations on an ongoing basis. But I have heard clients ask me people's race on the other side. Yeah, that you can't do that. We know you can't do that one. Well, the client, you can't control what the client asks. So what's the answer from an agent? Well, I, I think you go offline and explain to them the law or you refer them to me to explain it to them. I mean, listen, we're all people. You're going to identify people a certain way. Um, and even if you do say, even if the answer is uh, it, oh, it's an African-American family, um, if the next... If you say that as an agent, it's an African-American family. Have yeah. you just now broken the law? No, no. But if you if the next statement is, oh, so you don't want them. Or if the statement is they're a really great family, I think they'd be a great fit. I mean, that's where it makes a difference. Either direction. Yeah. 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 I mean, if, if if you have agents who are everybody knows right from wrong. Everybody can split hairs. Um, we have to get past that nonsensical political BS. Um, right is right. Wrong is wrong when it comes to this. And, and part of I the problem is right that, that, that the consumer actually has to bring this case. Any yes. potential case up. It's really seldomly brought up by the industry itself. 
Yeah, and it's seldomly brought up by um, by the individual either, because a lot of times they might think it, but how do you prove it um, unless there's something overt? And I have a, an example right now of, um, and it's not exactly on point, but it kind of is. He is Asian, which in those studies they were discriminated at, I think, at a 19% level. 19% yeah. of the time they're discriminated against. Yeah. So this this gentleman is a great guy. He's got a nice little business where he buys, fixes houses beautifully and rents. And um, this particular town came in and shut him down um, and then made excuses. And the problem is, in order for me to fix it, I have to get into the town hall, which they're not letting me into the town hall. And it was so now it's been shut down for months. And the question is, is it is it because of his race? I, I don't know if it is or it isn't, but the excuses they've given me are nonsensical. And it seems just like a roadblock to prevent something from happening. Now, they already own the property. And it's a matter of whether it's two units or three units. Um, but it feels uncomfortable. And I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. Um, but first, you know, we have to get to the point where we can have the conversation openly. And I still am getting, I'm getting sass from, uh, People on the other side, um, rather that it's just like dodgy behavior rather than engaging in the discussion or fixing the problem. I'll take either. Uh, but right now it's just avoidance. And, and that's really where we all get into trouble. Do you see uh, how many uh, fair housing cases do you see come across your desk a year locally? I get a lot of calls, but I don't get a lot of cases. And I think people just understand the cost associated with it is not worth moving on to the next deal. And I think that landlords bank on that. Mm. I mean, I, I, I listen, I have landlords. You have landlords. Some of them want a particular type of person and you have to counsel them again about the laws and then leave it in their hands. I'm not their I'm not their rental agent. Uh, they ask me a question about what they can and can't do. I tell them. But I, I mean, I, I would be hard pressed to believe that none of them discriminate in some way. Yeah, and again, I'm not I'm not dealing with the rentals either. But correct me if I'm wrong. One of the best ways to weed out tenants that you don't want to, or, or in my opinion, the best way to to weed out tenants that you don't want is to put a credit score criteria to applying for the uh, rental space, right? Absolutely. Like if you're going to say, I, I don't want to, and if you make it clear in your, you get less leads this way, but if you make it clear in your description, 750 credit score or above only, you're allowed to do that as a landlord. Yeah. So that is a great way to do it. And I don't know what FICO scores are going to mean after this coronavirus. I mean, yeah. I'll be honest. I turned on my TV this morning and it wasn't working. So I called him and I said, yeah, you didn't pay your bill. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I, <laughs> I don't know how I missed it, but like, I don't, I don't know that FICO score is going to mean so much anymore. Yeah. Um, with all the forgiveness, it's going to have to happen, but you know, FICO scores are a notorious, notorious tool used against minorities. Um, and so there's lots of ways to play the game, but we have to expand the conversation through, dude, I am so happy to be part of this show because it is so important. Um, and I didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me where, you know, all of these conversations are happening around me and I'm involved with a lot of the stuff, you know, they're, 
they're painting statues, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're painting police cars in my neighborhood. And I'm like, that's what I'm focusing on. But the underlying issue is what you're talking about. And that's what has to change. And it's going to take a while, but, you know, maybe some teeth legally that are maybe if given that study that you, you cited, if we can use that as a tool to maybe litigate some of these cases, that changes behavior. People hate lawyers because they think, you know, it drives prices up. Well, what it does is it changes behavior. You get you hit a corporation or a landlord in their pocket. They're going to change the way they do business. There's no other way. And, and so maybe this is a tool to change that. And, you know, I hope I hope this gets out to every realtor out there because it is so important. Well, the stuff you're talking about, like statues being painted, cars or whatever, you know, things are happening to cars. It's all coming from this place of pent up rage in that Newsday study when when you looked at the raw emotions, they would, they would interview each tester side by side that had experience with the same agent. So they had the white tester and the minority tester side by side and giving their feedback off of the experience of dealing with the, the same agent. And both of them each time had so much raw emotion from this experience going into the investigation. They never expected it to be as bad as it was. And yeah. I mean, the white tester and the minority tester both each time had a look of like just being dumbfounded across their face that they just went through this systemic racism, this systemic unequal treatment. And that is the core of the problem that that it is set up for failure. It really is. So it, it does beg the question because you have so many and maybe it's an age thing, um, but you have so many young people. Who, who are supporting this movement right now and they're over the top in the other direction. I'm going to get myself in trouble with this one, but I don't care. So no, you're, no, you're not over- because there's, there's a lot of young people that aren't going to actually put a plan in place to make a change. They'll make a poster, but not a change. So, so, you, and I'm, right. and I'm a hundred percent for protests, but, but I'll, I'll get in trouble and say what you were thinking there. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And, and we're all any, any American is for protest. That's the basis of what we do. Um, What I'm finding though, is a lot of the violence is being promoted by, by white people. And that's true. And they have their own agenda and we can get, that's a whole different show. You can listen to me on Sundays if you want to hear about that. But the question is how many of them become realtors and what behind closed doors are doing what that study showed. You know, overtly, they they are over the top, almost to the point where this is going to sound crazy, but their complete support, undying support at all costs is almost a, a, a sign of racism in itself in that they need all of that. What they need is equality and support. They don't need craziness. Yeah. And, and so the question is, how many of those realtors are supporting this movement in a way and yet behind closed doors doing this. And that's the danger when you don't know where the problem is. And when you, when you have people who are kind of masking that problem and that's terrifying and that's, I mean, that's, you know, 
they used to be they used to wear masks now they wear suits and pass out cards and that's systemic racism Mm -hmm. and they can pretend they're not but how does how do some of those agents that came that were kind of outed in this piece how do they wake up the next day and not say oh my god what do i do to change yeah you know some of them some of them didn't even put in a statement to newsday i mean i mean that's just showing the ignorance right there right so and that's the scary i mean isn't that the scary part i mean some of them are going to think oh well that's the way it's always been done that's my favorite one right or um that's what my clients wanted or i thought this was best for them or what however they're going to justify it the bottom line is you took away the opportunity from a family who could have maybe made a difference in the future and now has a trap they're in a trap because they're in a neighborhood that might not have been the best it might but it might not have been the best but you didn't give them the choice yeah and, and I, that's it i said to a friend i said we're you know when these protests go away we're not going to flip a light switch and be living in a perfect world we have to get better every single day and it starts from how can you make an impact within your situation your community your place at work how can you start to because there is a huge impact as you go down the line to your point at the beginning of this podcast where you know if you're not in the if you're not allowed allowed to buy a house in the neighborhood that you want, then you're not going to the school system that you want. And then your kids don't get the education and then blah, blah. It just, it just continues to build decade after decade after decade. And so all we can do is look at our situation. How can we make an impact and and then try to help others uh, have that same information? Yeah. And that again, not to blow smoke, man, but this is really, really important. I, I hope if any of your podcasts go viral, this is the one um, because. Of course you do, because you're on it. Well, of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a self-promoter at, at first of all. I appreciate you being on, Gordon. I want to talk to you about so much stuff. Uh, maybe we can, maybe I can jump on your radio and, and touch on this a little bit on your show this weekend, or you can jump on ours because we maybe we will touch on this on, on the radio show a little bit. Um, as I do believe it's an important message. And, and for our community, specifically real estate to not be aware of this investigation. It's just not, you know, you have the 12 hours of continuing ed every couple of years as a real estate agent. I get that, but you should know your industry better than anybody or people like me are going to eat your lunch. And this is an investigation. This is a piece of information that you should know as a real estate agent, whether you're local or anywhere across our 50 States G where can uh, people connect with where's the, what's the radio show Uh, Sundays, eight to 10. Sundays, 8 to 10. You can get us online at 949 News Now, um, just like you. Yep. Uh, we're 8 to 11 now. Uh, they give us 11. an extra hour. Uh, the people have spoken. They want more. Um, <laughs> of course they do. Well, Chrissy's a star. <laughs> well, exactly. She keeps me in line, as you see. Um, and obviously, my office is in Waterford. Anybody needs to call me, calls to me are always free. And they're always generally pretty fun. So uh, you can call me at 860 860- um four four seven three two two zero and we have a pretty robust uh website if you need to get a hold of us yeah gee uh you're one of the best appreciate your time and we're definitely gonna do another one of these and hopefully totally different topic but uh i thought this was important so i'm I'm 
pleased and honored you, you jumped on and shared your thoughts with us. No, I appreciate you. And this is really important. And I am, if we, if you can, we'll have you on on Sunday. All right. Gordon Vidal. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you so very much for watching the podcast all the way to the end. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe to the channel and better yet, do me a favor and leave a comment. Tell me what you think about this particular episode and who you'd like me to talk to next. And don't forget to watch some more podcasts.